Hello and welcome to a new episode of the Step Over Podcast, a Liberty Ballers podcast. I am Jim Adair. With me as always is Max Rappaport. Uh, Max, how you doing? Doing pretty well, Jim. Yeah, usually um, it's we're, we're talking like this and it's just, yeah, you know, you're out in Seattle, I'm in Philly. And it's like something where we haven't seen each other for a while and really talked outside of pod for a while. But that's not true because we saw each other last weekend, which was great. We did for my bachelor party. Just a little. Indeed. And then for uh, saying, saying farewell to uh, the OG South Philly Adobe as well, um, which was nice and lovely. Uh, just a little inside baseball there. Uh, we are with you here today to talk, um, getting to the finals, uh, wrapping up last night. We'll talk about draft stuff. Uh, we'll talk about some free agent stuff. Got some cool questions. Uh, but before we get into that, uh, just before uh, we started recording, uh, it was announced that Jimmy Butler will likely opt out, uh, which is 0.00% shocking. Um, it was a guaranteed thing to do, uh, which will allow him to receive a max deal from either the Sixers or another team. Uh, just common sense move on his part. So, yeah, that, that's that. Uh, the the opt out deadline I believe would have been like the twenty fourth or something I think um, but you know Kyrie just opted out a couple of days ago uh, Butler doing the same you'll see a couple of more guys uh, who have those options uh, do that you're seeing some guys opt in as well um, you just saw Jonas Valanciunas opt out with the idea of getting a longer term deal in Memphis et cetera et cetera you know just all that's all kind of bookkeeping free agency stuff before you get into the actual. Uh, Complete chaos and mayhem, which is sure to be this season's free agency, especially now with injuries playing huge parts in in what's going to happen. Uh, and speaking of those injuries, uh, Max, uh, did you get to see? I mean, easier for you since the game doesn't start at nine p.m. your time. Uh, but I assume you saw most of, if not all, of the finals game last night. Uh, just get, get a takeaway from you. What do you think? You know, to be honest, I only watched the fourth quarter. <laughs> Because oh, I, you I just, son of a bitch. I know. I just, I honestly, I just haven't, haven't been able to, like, muster up the energy to, to get that yeah. into it. Um, and I think like, I've just progressively gotten more and more bummed the the further we've gotten from from losing Game Seven, uh, mm-hmm. where sure. I think at first I, I was, I'd kind of come to some level of peace about it. Then the way the Raptors just kind of handled the Bucks, and then getting to the finals and having, um. KD not playing and then obviously injured and Clay going down last night and um, just kind of, I don't know, it just feels like they were so close. <laughs> like I had kind of accepted um, going into the playoffs that this wasn't the year and I think mm-hmm. it was hard, just hard for me to watch as this went on because more and more I felt like this could have been, could have been the year. A year. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, uh, the Philadelphia 76ers are officially your uh, 2019 transitive property champions at this point. Yeah. Uh, the only team to take the eventual champions to seven games, and that seventh game came down to a buzzer-beating uh, shot in a tie game. Um, but yeah, it, it, it is a bit of a bummer. Um, and I saw a lot of people, and I think you know this was mostly tongue-in-cheek joking, uh, last night talking about how the Raptors win as an asterisk and shit. And like that's, you know, whatever. If you want to say that, because yeah, obviously Clay's gone. Uh, KD was out for longer than Clay, but they both missed significant periods of time in this series but uh that don't matter man there's no asterisk on the trophy and people get hurt every time and no one goes back every year and say well they're missing this guy and this guy missed this and this guy was sick and you know it's not they're they're the champions man it sucks for everyone who's not them but it's a real title it's a real championship real trophy 
There's no there's no star next to it up in the up of the corner. Um, but yeah, I, I feel the same way you did. I still don't think this year was the year. I think if they had beat the Raptors, they would not have won. Um, the matchup against uh, Milwaukee for the Sixers, I think, was better than the matchup against Toronto, where I think, um, obviously, Milwaukee really gave Toronto a fight there uh, for a minute. Uh, and I think this, they would have given the Sixers just as much, if not more, of a fight. I still think the Sixers would have won that series. Um, but I think even, you know, shorthanded or, you know, slightly shorthanded because butterfly effect things change. Um, I don't know if the Sixers were beating the Warriors and it would have had a very different ending to the Warriors Oracle Oakland story. Um, if the Sixers had been in that finals, I think so. Um, obviously it would have been great to make it to the finals win or lose, obviously. Um, but I still don't think this was going to be their, their year of a championship. Um, Going forward from that, and we are now in draft mode, Max. The draft is six days away. Very exciting. Uh, for the first time in a very long time, the Sixers' only first-round pick is outside of the lottery, and outside of it by a good chunk. Uh, it's pick number 24. Um, the entire approach to your draft changes when it comes to this. Um, for the longest time, even when the Sixers were pretty high up in the draft, uh, talking about when they picked uh, Embiid while having Nerlens and Okafor while having Embiid and Nerlens. There were debates back then about uh, do you draft for fit or do you draft for best player available, right? When you're that high up, you always go for best player available. You see how that works out. You know, things shake out. One of those three guys hit real hard, and that was Embiid, and that was fine. You didn't need all three of them to hit. You were taking your chances. You were collecting your assets, whatever. Do you think that changes now for them, Max? Let's ignore the second round for a second because second round is always just kind of a crapshoot. Uh, do you think at 24 you take best player available or do you think if there's a player on the board for the Sixers who they think might be the second or third best player available to them but fits their their building better, do you think you go with the fit? I, I guess I'd say that I, I think that the debate is less about like fit versus BPA and more like best potential available versus best immediate contributor. Like I think it, sure. I think at yeah. 24 you can't you can't think too much about fit, right? Like in terms of right. like what we need based on the roster right now is, you know, a backup point guard. Like it's just whoever you draft at 24 ideally it's going to be like year 3 or year 4 that they're actually contributing and like that could be totally different. Like what you right. have at that point could be different and how the the roster pans out and trades you make. Um, but I think the question's more like do you take someone like Cameron Johnson, who's 23, going to be 24 pretty much by the time the next season starts, who could probably come in right away and like be your eighth man? Or do you take someone um, you know, who's younger, maybe a freshman or sophomore, who regardless of how they fit your system, it's just like you, you kind of accept that that player is probably not going to really be part of the rotation for a few years. And I think for me, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm of two minds about it. Um, mm -hmm. I think it depends on who's there. For me, I don't necessarily want to reach on, for example, uh, there are a couple guys who are coming uh, straight out of high school who like to either took the year off or uh, by choice or ended up sitting out the year um, and might be there in the early 30s, you know, but, but potentially might rise into that, that end of the first round, um, like Darius Basley's one. Um, sure. You know, it's like for me, I don't need to reach on a player like that, even if I think they have a lot of potential. 
But if like Bull Bull for some reason drops to 24, I think at that point it's really hard for me, even if I don't think he's going to step in right away, to pass that up. So I guess for me, I'm, I'm wanting someone who can contribute right away unless there is someone there. Kevin Porter Jr. might be an example of this. Like um, someone who drops and is there at 24, uh, who you didn't expect to be. And at that point, I might be willing to, to make that. But I think right now I'm leaning more towards take someone who um, – you know, doesn't need to be a, a redshirt senior, but take someone who isn't three years away, basically. Right. And I think because a lot of that comes down to, you know, ignoring Jimmy and Tobias, right? What's going on to go on with them, with even JJ too. Those three guys, three of your starting five could potentially all be gone, right? But even with that, that's cap money, right? That's money that you're going to use in that sense that you have be creative with to fill in that starting lineup at 24 you're not drafting a guy in any way really that you expect to be a starter at all this year no matter what happens with those three right i mean it could happen you could get lucky they could you know you could get lucky or get unlucky in that sense right you can get lucky where you draft a guy and he just catches fire fits you so well and you end up starting him in some situation or you get unlucky in which you can't use that money to get a guy that starts and you have to start whoever you pick at 24 right there's there's two ways that that can really turn uh, but this is a situation where you're looking at the depth and depth, which was a huge issue last year and could possibly again be a huge issue this year, depending on what you can do with that money you have to spread around. So I think you're right there, but I think because of the depth thing and how you're not really drafting for a guy, as much as I've said in this podcast, I'm like starting four thoughts at once, but as much as I've said before that I don't, the idea that the window is closing is insane to me because your two best players are 25 and under, right? Um, so the idea that a, a freshman, right, or like a 19 or barely 20-year-old wouldn't really fit your timeline right now is against what I've said for the last, you know, 10 podcasts ever since they, they did the Butler and, and, and Tobias deals. But I also kind of feel that way because... You need depth now, right? And if you're going to be giving out max contracts to these guys who are older than your two core guys, then your window's not closing, but you have bumped it up a couple of years. And if you look at somebody like, you know, you're, I know you already mentioned Cameron Johnson, who seems to be a guy just, just because of his age alone, the amount of time he spent in college and because of his skill set, that could contribute, if not immediately, more quickly than some of the other people around him at that spot in the draft, then I think you probably do go for that because... You need bench people that can impact now. You don't at twenty four, you don't want somebody who's gonna spend most of their time this season in the G League. You have all those second round picks, uh, which you will unlikely use all of or keep all of. Um, just because you, you're not gonna be able to do that and that's you wanna have space for other people. But I think the goal should be, yeah, like you like it's more I don't even know if impact's the right word because that seems like it's very aggressive, but like immediate, you know, functionality someone who can can take up minutes now versus you know what someone like a jonah bolden ended up doing minutes wise or for conkorkmaz ended up doing minutes wise even though neither of them were drafted last year last year for their first uh real year in the league right these guys who can you know you can put in in a blowout whether the it's going either way but you can't really expect them to do much to impact a close game I think you need to look for the guys who you can hope can impact a close game in some fashion. You can put them in with, you know, your four other starters and hope they can do something. 
um, because we saw how big of a problem depth was last year. And I think that's got to be the main thing. And I think you're right in saying that, like, backup one or backup five can't be your, your sticking point if the best player available is a wing in that situation. Because while backup one and backup five, I think, are your most important depth position, positions, they're all basically empty. It's not like you have a really a couple really good backup wings. So you're like, oh, well, you know, we don't want to draft some guy who's going to be like our fourth small forward. Like, you don't have anybody really in depth. So while one and five are the most important backup positions, um, I don't think that's a situation where you're going to pick one over the, over the other because, you know, you're not going to reach for someone at five, like who's a backup five just because he's a backup five, especially um, if you like a, a bunch of guys because, like we've been saying, you have 24, but then you also have 33 and 34. We're right there. So those are your two chances back-to-back to grab, you know, if you need to, a backup one, backup five. Or take take your real big risks there on guys who might not make the team who you can kind of take your risks at. Um, since you brought him up, I do want to talk for a second about Bull Bull, if you don't mind. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I know we got a question from somebody about Bull Bull. We tweeted about this podcast like six different times, so I can't find the exact one. Um, but Bull Bull's kind of all over the place in these mock drafts, right? Where he's anywhere between, you know, a top 10, a, a borderline, you know, 9 to 13 pick. To down to the very very end of the first round and that has a lot to do with his uh his build his uh supposedly questionable medicals um the fact that he had a navicular foot injury which we have had experience with um and the fact that he is um for a man of his stature much like his father very very slim um but he's so kind of otherworldly skilled as like a prototypical modern day big man who plays like kind of like a guard or a wing um, that he's extremely enticing. There was a quote that somebody wrote a a piece about him. I think it was in Yahoo Sports. Maybe I can't remember who it was. Uh, There was a quote from uh, an anonymous front office person in the NBA that basically said, everything you're hearing about Bull Bull is a lie because the people who are later in the draft who want him are talking shit basically to have him fall. And the people who are early in the draft who aren't super high on him are pumping him up, hoping someone will snag him in front of them so they can get the guy that they want essentially. Um, So I want to know what your take on Bull Bull is. If he's at 24, is it, is it, is it a a no brainer that you grab him? And if that does happen, what are your like big, what's your main thought on him, either positive or negative? Yeah, I think for me, it's like a no-brainer if, if he's there. Um, that, to me, is, is where you do go, uh, like, best prospect or best potential available. Uh, yeah. Just because I, th- I think, you know, your chances of getting the next Landry Shamit, the next Fred Van Vliet, you know, it's, it's low. Even if you draft well at 24, like, primarily those guys aren't going to really be difference makers. And I think if you're talking about do we take, you know, whoever it is, Darius Basley, um, or do we take Cameron Johnson or so, or someone who can't, or, you know, uh, Bruno Fernando or someone who can step in right away. Then I think there's a conversation about like, okay, do we want, do we care about getting someone who in these four years uh, on rookie scale is going to be able to contribute and like save us money and allow us to do other things because we're plugging this person in for 20 minutes a game who is making a low salary. I think that's a calculation that makes sense. When you're talking about right. someone who has the potential to 
be an all-star level player, which I think Bol Bol does, if not better than that. I think he has like, you know, star potential, two-way star potential. Um, mm-hmm. I think you have to go for that. Uh, you know, g- given that it's it's basically a scratch-off ticket at that point in the draft anyway. Um, I also just really like his game, and I think it's... I, I feel like when it comes down to it, he is not going to fall as far as some of these mocks are saying he's going to fall. I, I would be shocked if he gets past, like, 13, 14, 15 range. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's... You kind of see this every year, and sometimes it, sometimes it happens, but I feel like you see a lot where um, the guy that... Uh, came in as a top five prospect and had a disappointing season. Like, um, you know, the, where he starts getting mocked, like into the the later part of the round, or like people are wondering if he'll just go back to school. And then in the end, like usually they're drafted around like nine, ten, eleven. You know, those guys. Mm-hmm. Um, so I I think if you're like the Hornets, the uh, Heat, even the, like the Celtics at fourteen, like why wouldn't you take Bowl Bowl? Um, yeah. I think I think it's like easy to forget when a guy gets hurt and misses time. It's like it's easy to start really digging into all the negatives and forgetting the fact that he's like seven three with a seven eight wingspan and hits threes and right. can run the floor. Like I yeah, I feel like a situation for a team like Boston or even at, even Atlanta teams with multiple first round picks. Uh, they'll happily pass it on the first time and, and and say like, hey, if he's there for our second one, he's ours. Um, which I think is a mindset that's probably it feels safe as a front office, and um, it, you can't really blame, you know, unless you know there's always going to be a guy drafted after somebody who's a bust who's great. Um, but when it's your second pick, you can kind of be more careful with that and safer with that. Um, I have a couple of guys I do want to talk about um, that I think actually only uh, basically two of them for 24 and then two of them for second round guys specifically I want to mention that we can talk kind of you know glance by some other guys but before we did that um, I do want to go over a little bit of the history of the 24th overall pick if you don't mind let's do that and, let's, and then let's take a break before we go to specific players all right you know what let's take a break right now and then we'll get back and do a quick quick rundown of historically the 24th overall and then take take on some prospects all right let's do it all right, so in recent history, uh, in the 24th overall pick, uh, you have uh, players such as, uh, funnily enough, uh, Timothy Luabu Cabarro, uh, famously taken uh, by the Sixers uh, when there were um, other players right afterwards that did some very impressive things uh, in the NBA that Timothy Luabu Cabarro has not done. Max will talk a little bit about some of the guys around that in a second. Uh, Anthony Simons in uh, 2018, yeah. Um, Tyler Lydon in 2017, who actually I actually liked. Um, I don't think he's ever really played in the bigs. He's been in the G League for for a minute. Uh, Tyus Jones, who gives the Sixers fits, but hasn't really done much otherwise. Uh, Shabazz Napier, uh, and then like going even further back in history, it's been a real mixed bag. Uh, Tim Hardaway Jr., Jared Cunningham. You had Reggie Jackson there, which would be great. Great Reggie Jackson tech. Uh, our good friend B.J. Mullins. Uh, two people, uh, at the very least, I'm looking at the rest of this, yeah, two guys who won an NBA championship last night in Kyle Lowry and Serge Ibaka. Uh, but then at the same time, Andrew Karolinko is a great one. Derek Fisher going back further. Sam Cassell and Sir Spreewell and Rick Fox going back way further than that. 
That's actually a really good run. 91, 92, 93. Rick Fox, Latrell, Sreewall, Sam Cassell at 24. That's good. Not not so great uh, recently. Teams have gotten better at not missing no. on good players for the first 24 picks. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Rudy Fernandez. Uh, that was a good one if he ever really played much in the NBA, which he really kind of didn't. It was a good you know, it's a good risk at 24 to do. Uh, but also you have people like Brian Cook and Luther Head and Delonte West and uh, Minnesota's 2002 forfeited first round pick. Um, so yeah, it's been a real... It's. I would say it's like a seventy percent miss rate. Not making me feel great. And I guess it's it's kind no. of the point though. Is like you you just right. generally miss, and when you hit, you hit on like Landry Shamit. You don't hit on right. Giannis. You know, at that point, yeah, you're extremely rare, yeah yeah you're extremely lucky to hit on Serge Ibaka or Kyle Lowry in that spot. Looking looking even at like twenty five, uh, Anzesh Pasekniks uh, in twenty seventeen. Um, mm-hmm. Bryce Johnson, Clint Capella is probably the best one recently. Tony Roden was the 25th pick in 2012. There you go. Uh, probably you have to go all the way back to like Tony Allen was a good one, 2004. Uh, Gerald Wallace, 2001 might be the best. Um, it's, it's, and then it's just a lot of guys who, uh, Nick, uh, Batum in 2008. Like, you know, I, I just think, I guess I don't want to get into the mindset that this player who you take it at 24 has to be. Um, I guess that's why I don't want to pick for fit. Like I think at 24, right. at 24, you just have to pick whoever you think is, is either best contributor right away or best mm-hmm. potential. Um, and I don't really care if that's a center, if it's a point guard, whatever that said, right. uh, I guess the guys I've keyed in on um, primarily leading up to the draft, just because, I guess it was the same with the possessionist draft that like he was a guy I just didn't look at at all. Um, mm-hmm. And I, th- I think the guys I'm keying in on primarily are guys who I think are fits, but I think that's just, uh, I-, I think it's hard for me to watch um, say a wing who can't shoot, who's not Matisse Leibel right. and get excited about that. But if they take a guy yep. and they think he's the best you know, player available, that's fine. I, I don't But I guess as we, get into talking about specific players i am looking at my list and realizing that maybe i'm uh falling into that trap of thinking about what they need right now well i think also the thing we have to kind of all admit to ourselves here at 24 is that um as you can tell by a lot of the players we named on those lists a lot of those guys probably seen as like great picks at 24 you can make the right pick you can make like the consensus right pick you can get a good player here and they could have absolutely no impact in the pros. It's, I mean, that's the way with honestly, every pick basically outside the top three, right? But especially when you get further and further into the end of this first round, the 24, you can make the absolute dead on right pick. And the guy could just not really be anything. And that's what happens when you're a good enough team to be at the end of the draft. Um, but so let's, let's hop into a couple of these guys. I know you mentioned him already. I mentioned him already. He's probably number one for, both of us, I would think. Although you might not, maybe number two for you at this point. Um, you want to talk about Cameron Johnson for a second? Yeah, I would say he's not. He's not my number one. Um, okay. Tell me why he's not. He's he's just old. <laughs> he's old and like not super athletic. Um, I don't see a lot of potential beyond just being like. like I guess when I when I watch him. Um, what comes to mind for me is like Doug McDermott or her. Okay. Like, you know, someone who's just like a, a big, you know, a, a big wing who can shoot and not really do much else. Um, 
I think he's going to struggle defensively. He's not a great transition player. Um, You know, it's like, I I guess it's just, I don't think you can be like a valuable three and D contributor without playing D (laughs) and just being three. And I guess he, he just strikes me as a guy that like, I think his upside is he's is he's your ninth man um, who maybe doesn't even play all like isn't a big part of your rotation um, or mm-hmm. is a forgettable part of your rotation maybe like a like a James Anderson level rotation player and I think his downside is he's just not really much of anything and I I'd, I think for me it's it's not that a player needs to have like star potential at that pick but they need to have like Landry Shamit potential and I don't think Cameron Johnson has that when I watch him. Okay, well, I'm gonna I'm just gonna make a quick comparison here, okay? Um, forgive me for saying numbers. I know that the guy who comments on our podcast saying it fucking sucks is gonna hate that I'm reading numbers off. Um, but in his in, in his last year, so this this college season, uh, it was a 64.8 percent true shooting percentage, 62.1 effective field goal rate, free goal percentage, uh, 50.4 uh, three point attempt rate. Uh, he shot 43.5%, I believe, from three. Okay? Just keep those numbers in your head currently. 45.7, my apologies, from three. Uh, there was a player that came out in the draft last year, uh, 65.5 true shooting to the 64.8. effective field goal to 61, 2.1. Uh, Three-point attempt rate, almost exactly the same. Uh, and his three-point percentage... Um, was 43.5 so a couple of percentage points below you know who that other player was who's that it's Macal bridges mm. who everyone was extremely excited about last year so i understand he's not the, the caliber of player Macal bridges because if he was he'd be mocked higher in the draft but this is this is the kind of you know player this this mold this formula this form of a player that everyone was really excited about last year getting at the 10 spot and yeah it might be like a, a c plus b minus version of that guy but at 24 what more are you honestly asking for you know looking at his shot chart from from last year as well uh he attempted 162 nba three-pointers and made 46 percent of them that's impressive to me and that's the kind of thing i'm looking for because for me i know we we said you don't draft for for your the, the the fit you want or whatever, but I'm not the GM, so I can pick who I like based on the type of player I want, right? And that's the type of player I want. I want the guy who's going to be kind of your spot up shooter, who, when the rest of your depth, when the rest of your bench guys are dribbling around and collapsing defenses and like not being able to do anything because they're depth guys for a reason, he's the outlet guy who can hit that three, right? And the defense, I'm not entirely super concerned about because the depth we had last year couldn't really do much on offense or defense. So I'll take one over the other right now in one guy. I'll do that. And then when you go to free agency, you fill in the defense stuff. So you're not going to get, because you're not going to get a good two way guy, period, at 24 plus. Um, and I think, you know, this is, I'm, I know my view is clouded by like the mold, the type of player that I want here. But the fact that that's kind of the guy I'm looking for. He's right there. He's being mocked to the team in a couple of different places at 24. Um, makes me think, honestly, he probably will be there. I could see him, honestly, probably going as high as like maybe 19. Maybe someone reaches for him. But then if the Sixers don't pick him, 
I don't see him falling that much further. Um, so I think he's going to get there. I'm not crazy in love with him because he's a 24 overall pick, right? I'm not going to fall in love with any of these guys, really. Um, but for me, this is like he's the prototypical guy that I want here. And like I said earlier, like, yeah, his age, he's older. He's a year and a half older than Ben Simmons, I think. But that timeline kind of fits now, right? A little bit. And I'd rather have, you know, a guy who has a year and a half less to kind of grow and fit or whatever, or maybe his, his ceiling is a little bit lower at 24 overall, um, who can kind of contribute a little bit sooner. Can I ask you a question? Yeah. What makes him a better prospect or better player than like Hollis Thompson? What makes him different? I don't know. I honestly don't know. That's kind of my point and, is like, it, I think and that's but, but, like, but, 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 but at the same time, what makes him worse than Macau Bridges? When that he people can't have play like defense, kind of that, it, that his arms are six inches shorter and he doesn't play and he's not good at it and not athletic. But again, you're drafting 14 picks later. When you're like I'm saying, when you're getting here, you're going to basically yeah. anybody you're drafting here, you're going to they have one skill, right? Or they have like a bunch of skills that like are just like slightly above average. Now we'll talk about Thibault in a second because I think <clears> he's your number one guy and his one skill is like he's damn near kind of elite at it, or at least has the potential to be damn near elite at it. But it's also, it's still kind of one skill, right? I know it's kind of ridiculous to say that like spot-up shooting and like all of defense as a whole is one skill, but I think you get what I'm saying. So I think just it's just being realistic about what you're going to get at 24. I, I think too, right? yeah, I think too, it's like what skills or what, what aspects of someone's game do you think can change over time? And maybe I think yeah. like with Matisse Thibault, it's like if he became a more consistent shooter, which he's shown at some points in his career, and we'll, we'll talk about him more. But like, mm-hmm. if he could become a better shooter, then he is immediately like a lockdown. He is a a game changing, potentially game changing defensive player who can hit open shots. I don't see a world in which Cameron Johnson like all of a sudden can do more than just shoot. And it's also, you know, it's one thing if your one skill is shooting, and you know you're. I mean, he shot forty six percent from three, but it's like primarily catch and shoot. It's you know, it's you know, he's not um, he's not changing the game with his ability to hit shots the way I think like Matisse Thybulle potentially is changing the game defensively. Um, also, I just think like you have to look at what um, what deficiencies a player has or what like room for growth they have. Um, or where their deficiencies align with like things he can actually improve upon. I just don't know where mm-hmm. Cameron Johnson gets better at this point. Also, he's like 24. Like I, th- I especially think it's he hard. He might for him as to well be better. 36. Yeah, honestly. But yeah, no, I, I see what you're saying. <clears throat> but I, like I said, I'm looking at kind of a prototype, like a prototype of a player, because all we hear the entire time for the past two years, and we're going to continue to hear when Ben Simmons, even if he becomes a quote-unquote jump shooter he's not going to hit a ton of them you're going to have you here you need spacing you need shooting you need spacing you need shooting you need spacing you need shooting and i think he can give you those things he can slide in and play alongside ben simmons and if you have somebody like a matisse thibel who is i also really 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 like he's right below i'm not like shit talking thibel but you're now if you can put if he's going to end up sliding into playing with ben simmons right Mm-hmm. And then you have... We're just going to transition to my thigh ball now. Uh, you have him... Say, say you, you come in a situation where you have like a Ben Simmons, a Matisse Thibel, and a Zaire Smith on the floor at the same time. Who's fucking shooting the ball? And, and, and right, how about this? And This is not me again, not me shooting on Thibel because I like him a lot. How does Thibel project defensively and offensively comparatively to 
a Zaire Smith, for example. Zaire Smith, who was also seen as a, you know, probably more athletic for sure, but uh, a, a, a big work in progress on offense, and his calling card was more of his defense. But I think I think there's very similar prospects. I mean, they play a different position, do different things, but like they're really similar. The difference I think is that Matisse Thibault's 22 and a senior, and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, with, with Zaire, there was more. Also, Zaire Smith like showed more growth, I guess, or like showed more potential to to be able to expand his game, like in the lead ups to the draft and in workouts and towards the end of their season, like. I think the difference is Matisse Seibel, like, hasn't shown that. Um, you know, defensively, he's gotten better, but, like, his shooting's gotten worse. Although I think on the flip side of that, like, you look back at, at his sophomore year and he shot almost 41% from three on four attempts. Uh, last year took the same number of attempts and shot 31%. Um, the other two years shot around 36 his freshman year and his junior year. Like, I guess with, with Thibault, I see, I see a, like, clear path forward for him being a – three and D primarily D more than three, but like a three and D contributor. Um, whereas like Cameron Johnson, I just, I don't see the, I don't see the player he becomes who is a contributing, you know, a, a real contributor in the rotation. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas Matisse, I like see, I really see it. Um, I also just think he's right. a better prospect. I just think he's like you said, his one thing, if you want to say his one thing is defense, it's like he averaged three and a half steals and almost two and a half blocks a game. As a senior, right? Yeah, and the year before he averaged three steals. The as a sophomore, he averaged two point one steals. You know, I think he's like one of only three. Yeah, I think he's like one of only three players since the NCAA started tracking those numbers that notched a hundred steals and forty blocks in a season, and he did it twice. Like, it's it's astounding what he can do on the defensive side, Um, and I do like him a lot. I mean, it's uh, he's six five with a seven foot wingspan, which is fucking ridiculous. That's absolutely insane. That's it. That is the that's wild, um, and I do think that he. I think that skill, that defensive skill, probably translates those instincts, the the ability to get into passing lanes, to disrupt shots, to sense when people are going to go up with shots and get up there and block, and honestly, do it without fouling a ton. Um, is a skill that translates from college to pros very well because, you know, players get better because, you know, there's only of every draft that where 60 players are drafted, how many of those players actually stick around in the NBA for a while in, in, in each individual year. So most of the guys you play and you're playing defense defense on in the col- in college is not going to make the pros and they're sub pro level. Um, but if you can read people and you can read what they're going to do with the ball and you can do that, that skill is going to translate really well because there are some incredibly high IQ guys in the pros that are just always going to fool you. But you, if you're a high IQ defender, that, that that just does so much for you and for your team. I do think that he's he impacts the team structure a lot more just because being a, a, an incredible defender. Um, and I do like him a lot, like I said. But I also think this. Um, what do you think is more likely if only one of these two is true? Do you think it's more likely that Cam Johnson's around still at 24 or that Thibault's around still at 24? I actually think I think it's more likely that, that Thibault is. I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure why. It just feels like that's that's what I see in mock drafts. It seems like he's not. I think there's a chance. What was it? The, the Celtics had had 
were, were kind of rumored. I think the Thunder were rumored at one point to have yeah. like kind of given him a, a soft uh, promise. But well, he supposedly has a promise from somebody. Yeah, yeah. I also think you could uh, trade up. Like you're you're at 24 and you have what four first round or four second round picks, uh, yeah. including two that but are like, in the top five of the second. Have? I mean, if you're picking like if you're the uh, the Spurs at 19 and you don't love whoever is there and you think they're going to be there at 24 like why not pick up the 33rd pick you know that's a good that's a valuable second round pick it's not throwing them the 50th pick um yeah you know so i would be willing to trade up for thibault just because i think he's um i think he has a lot of potential there's also a chance that one of those teams that promised thibault like if if you know, we just talked about Bol Bol probably not dropping, but imagine Bol Bol does drop, and now the right. Celtics, if they're the team that that promised him and he's there at twenty two, like do the Celtics pass up on Bol Bol? Do they they give him the uh, the uh, Larry Brown treatment and like stick to that promise, or do they go with Bol right. Bol? Like probably, Bol- and if they don't go with Bol Bol, fucking, I'll take Bol Bol at twenty four. Right. Um, so I don't know. It's he- also worth mentioning that that when it, when they've talked about the the who the mystery team that could have promised. Uh, the pick the Thibel, the Sixers have been mentioned mm-hmm. uh, as uh, and kind of in, in, inferred and implied that it could very strongly be them, but that also doesn't stop anybody in front of them from taking him as well. Just because the Sixers say the Sixers promise Thibel, if you're there at 24, I'll take you. That doesn't mean someone at 18, 19, 20, 21 is going to take him. Oh, like oh, the Sixers promise? Like, no one gives a shit. True, they're going to take you, the best player they want. So I think, in fact, I think the promise can be dangerous sometimes because then you know. If if everyone in the league, for example, like secretly knows that the Sixers promised Thibault did take him at twenty four, what's to stop somebody from taking him at twenty two and say, all right, well, give me a couple picks and we'll swap or trading up, which like I we could, were just talking about doing. If you're right, in the which again couldn't be the worst thing in the world because you do have all those seconds that like you're not going to use all of them anyway. You know, maybe you throw a super protect super protected future wave future first on it or something or I don't know. Um, but yeah, uh, so I had three people I wanted to talk about for this pick. Um, who did you have three as well outside of those yeah, two guys? Yeah, I have, I have, I have a couple more. All right, you you go ahead because I, I I put extra attention on two two guys specifically, but I've been kind of back and forth because these two next guys that I wanted to talk about, who I'm sure you'll mention at least one of them, if not both, um, I have seen mocked everywhere from like twenty to thirty eight, pretty much. Yeah, you'll see a lot of that in these mock drafts where because a lot of the mock drafts when it comes to this point go for fit and stuff like that, and also like at this point in the draft, it's not. Not everyone's locked in. You know, I've seen people mock the Sixers at 24 in one draft and mock them at 34 in another. Same player. So you'll see a lot of that. So why don't you uh, start throwing out names and we can discuss. I have a feeling that this is going to be one of your players, but Carson Edwards, is that one yeah, of yours? Hell yeah, buddy. Yeah. Hell yeah. I am really... Like a I'm, tuna can. I'm really into Carson. Yeah, he is put like a tuna can. I'm really into Carson Edwards. Um, <clears throat> I, again, like, don't think they should be drafting for fit. Um, mm-hmm. So it's not so much that like oh he can he's a you know bench scorer or whatever, but I think it's more about do I see a a role for this player, um, not given the current construction, but just like what a team like the Sixers needs. Like you you need guys mm-hmm. off the bench who can like play a specific role. Like Thibault I think could and Thibault could be a, a starter you know like a, a with the right pieces around him. But like Carson Edwards perfectly fits a role in that kind of like that Landry Shamit mold of like coming off the bench, hitting shots, coming around screens, like his ability yep. to, um, his ability to in the same way Shamit does or, or JJ does like just kind of run to the lo- run to the three point line, c- 
come like curl around a screen, catch it, and while he's turning, mm-hmm. just fire it up. And his release is so quick. Um, yeah. He's just an outstanding shooter, and I think he's the type of shooter, like unlike Cameron Johnson, who I think is more catch and shoot, and you know, in the flow of the offense. I think Ca- uh, Carson Edwards is like can actually change the game with his ability to shoot. Right. And he does a lot of other yeah. things. He's a great scorer, too, like just around the basket yeah. and getting to spots. Yeah, obviously, he's probably more likely for 33 or 34, it seems like, um, just because of his size alone. Um, because of that size, it's kind of easy, and because of last night's game, it's kind of, I texted you this earlier, it's easy to kind of compare him to like a Fred Van Vliet. Um, but he really does, I mean, he kind of is like, you know, like a, a Lou Williams... Unfortunately, I hate to bring this name up, but there's a bit of Isaiah Cannon in him. Yeah, that's, uh, that's not a bad yeah, thing. There's, that's not a bad thing. There's a lot that yeah. There's Cannon's like yeah. You know, you're drafting in the second round. Come on. Um, worth pointing out. This is using a conjunction of Sports Reference and the Stepians uh, numbers. So, according to Sports Reference, uh, last year he attempted 383s, which is about 10.6 per game, which is hilarious. Uh, of those 380, 313 of them were from the NBA three line or, or, or further. So range is not necessarily an issue for him. He shot 36.42% on NBA threes, uh, which is not incredible. But on 313 of those, uh, that's something you'll take. And also because he wasn't really, you know, he, he wasn't doing a ton of facilitating, uh, wasn't doing a ton of, you know, kind of running a, a, a set play running offense. It was like, yeah, come across and fire the ball a lot of the time. Um, but he's just like, yeah, he's a guy too where he's just kind of exciting, you know? He's got like the energy and build of a just a bag of bowling balls rolling down the court. Um, and he can just kind of light it up. And it's just like, it's one of those things where he's got the potential, right? And he's got the ability as a scorer and a shooter and everything else is a question mark probably going to be revolving door on defense just purely because of size alone um but when you're drafting an early second round like at least get some entertainment value out of it just at least get some some potential some skill um some something an energy guy and he's like got energy guy written all over him i like him a lot for that 33 or 34 pick there um big fan of of grabbing him one of those spots someone someone gave the comp isaiah thomas which i think is a really good one yeah, I mean, I feel like he's got more power to him, um, just purely because of his build. Isaiah, for for a small guy, who, like this is why it was always so incredible that Isaiah was playing in the NBA at the level he was playing at, because the height is not even just the height; it's like the build. You know, he was a, like same thing with Iverson, you know, short and thin. Um, whereas Edwards has more of a thickness to him. Um, but yeah, I can see that the, the ability, the, the play style, definitely. Um, he's a guy I'm pretty excited about. I'll be super bummed if he goes like 28 to 32, just like right in front of you. Um, and I, I consider like him he, at, at 24 still. Like I, I think it depends on who's there, but I, 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 yeah. I, it's not out of the question to me that you would take him at 24. No, it's not out of the question. I mean, like another guy, you've seen him mocked in the late first to mid-second even. Um, it all depends. I think people's biggest question mark would be defense and size. Um, I think maybe honestly, a good thing for his value as a guy of that build was watching Fred Van Viet in the finals. I bet you there's some GM or front office guy somewhere in the league who was like, who's made this connection between those two guys before and goes, well, look at what Van Viet just did. We got to get me one of those. And then you got Edwards right there. Yeah. So 
Um, I think that, like, without Carson Edwards doing anything at all last night, I think that may have helped his value, seeing a, a small guy um, kind of do what he did. Hubie, Hubie Brown would take him, I'm sure. Um, so, yeah, I'm excited about Carson Edwards. Who, I, I, I think he'll be a fun guy to watch uh, kind of no matter where he goes, but I would like to see him come here. Who's your other guy? Uh, Lugans Dort. Uh, almost Love solely for name. Yeah, no, it's a great name. Yeah. Let's. I'm not. I'm not gonna pretend here. I've already. We've talked before. I already have a T-shirt designed for Lugans Dort. So that's purely my motive there. Give me Dort at 34, and I'll be all about it. Another. Th- another thick guy, kind of. You know, he's a. <clears throat> he's what's what's he listed at? Six four two twenty two. He's a little beef. A little beefy. A little beefy guy. Uh, but he has like. He's again. He's kind of a defensive guy, uh, strong, but like he's not. I don't feel like. I mean, I haven't studied him the way like people who actually study the draft have him. But there's not like one skill that really jumped out uh, to me uh, for him. Not a great shooter, um, but I think the name makes up for it. Honestly, man. Another guy with a long wingspan. He's only 20, so he's one of the younger guys we've talked about this entire time. Uh, which is kind of wild considering, yeah, Carson Edwards is also 21. Like, you know, two years ago, I was like 20. Might as well be ancient, but now like three of the four guys I've been talking about are like basically 21 and older. Um, but yeah, I think Dort is kind of a guy where he could probably use a little more development than some of these other guys just to kind of fit. But again, it's all how you use him. It's how you use any of these guys. Like, Although like Edwards is like giving the ball and tell him go, uh, which is good and bad, honestly. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I just like him. There's like, like I said, he's just kind of exciting. Um, he's got like, I'm trying to think. I feel like he's a guy who, in 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 the the ringers, uh, they mock him at 25. By the way, the ringer does to the Trailblazers. So, and he's another guy you've, I've seen mocked again, first or second round because only 10, 10 to 12 picks apart. Um, they in their shades of uh, they have Oladipo and Marcus Smart and Raul Alkins. Uh, he's not Oladipo. He could be maybe one day. Uh, offensively, he's certainly not. But I think he's Marcus Smarty in the guy in the way that like he's gonna be the guy if you have him here and he because he plays his ass off. He'll be the guy that like maybe every other fan base is like you guys love this guy that much really, but like you just absolutely love him. Uh, and that's not a dig at Marcus Smart. I like Marcus Smart, uh, but you know what I'm saying, right? He's he's gonna be the guy who is again like like Edwards was like a, a big big time energy guy um, who has a lot of work to do on his game. But again, if you're picking where you're picking, that's gonna be the case. Yeah, I, I, I he's someone who I've not paid as much attention to. I think I like I remember watching some 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 highlights on him like. Maybe a few right. weeks ago and just be coming away kind of feeling maybe how you felt which is like ah, i don't really know like what his thing is that he does like he's yeah. all around good but like especially since the other three guys we've that. talked about yeah the other three guys we've mentioned all have like a distinct thing right where i feel like dort has been a bit more of a grab bag which i think honestly that's it depends i mean it's, it could also be good i mean i think i trust brett brown and his staff as player developers we've seen that over the years He's more of a, I think he's probably more moldable just because he doesn't have that one defined set skill um, in, in the strongest way that the other guys do, 
where he might be a little bit more moldable and a little bit more versatile in that way. We'll, we'll, you know, it'll, you'll have to see by how he's used and with whoever he ends up with and whoever he ends up with. But, um, yeah, he's just a guy that seems... He's one of those guys I think that you'll see is either, like, a trivia question. Like, oh, that guy. Like, someone took a, took a jump on him and, like, he ended up being absolutely nothing. Or he's a guy that's like a Pascal Siakam where in a couple of years it's like, we picked this fucking dude in front of Dort. I think he has, like, a potential to be that in, like, a couple of years. Also amazing, like, single name uh, yeah. like Kobe kind of material, like a uh, uh, potential, like yeah. like we Think, picked him in front of Dort is is really yeah. yeah it's like Dirk right it's like yeah he's right. just gonna be Dort and that's awesome. Think think of the headline writing potential, just puns alone, right? That's just yeah. Thing that, same thing with 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 Thibault too. It's just like pun, very pun pun worthy. Um, but yeah, I think of, of of my four guys that I, I kind of paid extra special attention to, uh, Dort is definitely fourth, um, and like a, a decent fourth further down there. But I, I I do like him. So I think my my other guy I'm really interested in. I mentioned his name a few times, uh, Bruno Fernando. Um, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And I, I I've been really confused about him because I feel like I've seen him mocked like as high as like ten, eleven, twelve, which is yeah. seems unusual and then i've seen other places like the ringer for example has him 33rd and to the sixers yeah and it's like i I don't know what to think at this point but i i don't get why he's not a lottery pick just watching him his his body is great he's 20 turning 21 soon um he's an excellent shot blocker he's like 610 with like a 7-3 wingspan really well Mm -hmm. built um like super super strong and like just looks just looks like a mature a player. Montverde alum. Yeah, which is uh, big. Um, put up 13.5 and 10.5 rebounds uh, last year. Um, I, I just really, I, I don't know. Whenever I watch him, I feel like I'm really impressed, and uh, I don't really understand what the what the knock is on him or what the question right. marks are that, are, um, that have moved him down the board. Like, I... You know, it, to me, it's like I think when I think about his his role on the Sixers, or I think about like what that role is that he could play. It's like he kind of reminds me a little bit of like Dwayne Dedman, just like a really solid, yeah. you know, a solid center. Because uh, I, I think typically or it's hard to find uh, in the NBA backup bigs who can like hold their own against a Marcus All or and there just aren't there isn't as much of a need for it as there used to be, which is part of part of why I think this is. But it's like right. I don't want any more, like, one way or the other, like Amir Johnson's or mm-hmm. I love Boban, but it's like he is too much the other direction where it's just like you can only use him so sparingly in certain situations. Mm-hmm. I want someone who I, like, a Nene kind of player who I can just, like, st- throw out there and I'm just confident, or Dwayne Devin, I'm just confident is going to, like, hold their own and be okay. Um, and I yeah. think he he seems to fit that mold. And I also think he has, I think he also has a lot of potential to, I mean, I don't know on this team, maybe center is the one position where you think like long-term uh, them panning out into a starting level player is not going to work with your team construction because you have Embiid, but like who cares? It's, it's, you're really thinking about four years ahead on the rookie scale. And then if they have value, you can always make a deal or who knows where you'll be at that point. Yeah. I think he's one of the guys where if he's there, 
at thirty three, thirty four, and you're specifically thinking to yourself, be really great to get a get a backup five right now, get a little bit of like take a flyer on somebody for as we what we used to call him beat insurance, and I don't like saying that. Uh, I think he's definitely probably the top of that list because he's. I don't think he's probably the best center that will be av- that would be available at thirty three, thirty four. Yeah, it seems. Yeah, or or at twenty four, and I also think he's. Um, you know, you you said like Embiid insurance. I think the insurance is really like insurance, uh, not so much like if Embiid's career is derailed by injury, but like if you find yourself in a situation like the Sixers have again and again found themselves in, where Embiid misses three weeks or two weeks mm-hmm. or five games, you know, where you're able to feel confident that whoever his backup is can is versatile enough to. Uh, to put out there in any lineup, like not a situation where certain teams you're going small, you know, you're like starting uh, Tobias Harris at center. And like, I, I just want to be in a situation, in a situation where they have a guy on their roster who they're, pr- I mean, probably he's a little ways away, like a year or two mm-hmm. away from contributing, but like where moving forward, you have someone on your roster who you, you figure will, will take on that role if they pan out. And right now the Sixers don't have that. They have uh Bolden, yep. they have Amir Johnson is going to be gone. They have, Boban, if he comes back, like Bolden and Boban are just too extreme in one direction or the other. Like, don't don't fit that mold of someone you can just count on to to mm-hmm. play fifteen minutes at a center right. position every against anyone. Have you looked much at uh, Mafiandu Kabangeli? I love him. They, I was that was the only guy. I, I do too. So it's is it Fiond? I, I I can't. I couldn't find a good I'm pronunciation. Guy is probably wrong. I couldn't either. Um, but I know I'm pretty sure it's Kabangeli. Uh, who I feel like he's not the guy you take at 24 and he won't be there at 33. <sighs> um, he's Mutombo's nephew, which I fucking love. Uh, he's got size and like he can shoot, you know? Um, I, but I think he's a guy that's going to fall in that middle spot. Um, I don't, you know, I don't know if you take him at 24, but I do like him if he's there at 33 or 33. I really I like think him. He, I, would, I, would you take him... Um, would you take him before you would take Fernando? Or would you take Fernando? <sighs> That's tough. I like both of them a lot. Um, I'd probably take Fernando ahead of him um, mm-hmm. because of... I think... I think he fits a little bit better in terms of uh, like filling into that center, that center role. I see... Uh, Fiondo is kind of more like more of a Serge Ibaka kind of like shot right. blocking, run the floor, hit the hits and threes, like four, like a shot blocking four, basically. Whereas I think um, even though he's big and I guess when mm-hmm. I look at when you look at his numbers, it's like his his measurables aren't that different from um, from Fernando's. But I think just like looking at their bodies, they just look like different players. Right. Um, but I, I really like him a lot. I would love it if they get both or if they could package those you know whether it's both their seconds or 33 and another you know future second or future pick like to move up into the 20s right. and take take him um i like him a lot just to give you just if you're not looking at all the mock drafts that we kind of have been kind of peeking at uh just to give you a look at how kind of chaotic the back half of the first round and beginning of the second round has been uh Gelly has been mocked in espn to 17 overall to the hawks uh, in CBS to the Sixers at 24, uh, in SI.com to the Spurs at 19, 
uh, and the LA Times to the Cavs at 26, and the Detroit News released one where they have them at 27th in the Nets. So that's a 10, that's a 10 pick, 17 to 27 range, where a lot can happen in those 10 picks. Um, and Tankathon has them at 33 to the Sixers. So it's going to be, I think it's going to be a really chaotic draft night, honestly. I think it might be some, some trades going on that uh, people don't expect. Maybe some low-key deals, swapping, swapping some first and future first and stuff like that, and then just kind of throwing everything into, into Haywire. So what if you're thinking about the 33 and 34 pick, do you have any like low-key guys you're thinking about beyond the guys we talked about? Uh, like, I mean, it's been so, it's going to be so hard to see who's there, right? Um, Darius Basley, I mean, yeah, he, he's definitely one. You, you mentioned him. Yeah. Uh, Daniel Gafford, if, if things get weird, you can climb up a little bit as a backup five. Um, I still like Jonte Porter. I don't know why. Jonte Porter too, but I mean, I'm looking at like, really falling again, off, just, but. As an example, Tankathon has him at 42 to the Sixers. Yeah. You know? Um, Shamori Pons, Admiral Schofield. I like those guys, but I don't know if... I don't know if they're going to be anything. I like, I like Naz Reed. He's more of like a late, late guy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. What do you think about... What is your, your Taco Fall take? Do you have one? Uh, I have two takes on Taco Fall. One... If you're not getting rid of pick 54 and he's there, why not? Yeah. Because no matter no matter who you pick at 54, they're probably not going to make the team. So why not just take a flyer on Taco Fall there? At least sell some Blue Coats and, tickets. Right. And my second take on him is that I think he goes undrafted. Hmm. I think he goes undrafted and gets signed by somebody that same night as an undrafted free agent, but I think he goes undrafted. See, I feel like if... People I- have seen... GMs have seen too many guys who are just like flat out big not be anything. I think if I'm an NBA GM and I'm picking, like you said, like 54 where the Sixers are, if I'm anywhere around mm-hmm. that range or later, especially if I'm like the Kings or I'm the Raptors, you know, uh, picking like 60, 59, 58, it's like, why Why the hell not? You know, it's like, yeah. like, right. what, yeah, yeah, like yeah. I just think... If I were, if I were a GM, it's like he is the one guy at that point in the draft who you take him, you have his rights. Like he's mm-hmm. probably has like a two percent chance of being anything, but in that in that two percent, uh, I think he has the chance to be like. I don't think he's going to be like a total game changer, but he has the the chance to at least be like I don't know, like a like Boban or better. Like I, I which I think yeah. most of them like a little bit better than Boban, but I think like most players in that range don't. And the difference between like Kyle guy and from Virginia and like whatever other guy you're going to pick up off the, the undrafted list. Uh, there's not mm-hmm. a huge difference. I feel like at least with, with taco fall, it's like something unique that you can only get if you grab him there and you're kind of locking That's yourself true. in. And- I would, I would love it if they took him at 54, unless there's someone there who I really want. Like if Nas Reed is there, or, um, you know, Jonte Porter falls or whatever. But otherwise, I want to I mean, just take a flyer any, on someone weird. Anybody at like 48 and on is just like a shrug and like, yeah, might as well, you know? Do we, or, do we or think, like, oh, go ahead. Let's just take this guy not going to make the team, so let's just take somebody. Maybe somebody else wants to. We can swap him for rights to something or something. 
Yeah. Do we do we think uh, they're going to make all their picks? Given that you can, I'd, I'd they, be surprised yeah. if they did. Give, given that you can you can stash guys or give them two way contracts. Um, you have four second round picks. Yeah, that's a lot. And we've seen when they needed, you know, under I mean obviously under different GMs. This is Elton's first draft, but we've seen them have numerous second round picks when they kind of needed bodies and not take them all. I mean, that's a lot. It's, you're drafting five new players to come into a team that will probably be a little bit strapped for cash and roster spots. That's a lot. Uh, now, if I... You know, it, the NBA seems to really want to make the G League a, a, a possibility for... Uh, an NCAA replacement, right? And a good way to kind of push that would be to, I think, encourage teams low-key to take those all those picks and just put those guys right in the G League to not only have these guys, like, see what you have in, like, a taco fall or something like that, but also just kind of get, a, a, a sh- like, a kind of an injection of talent down there mm-hmm. um, of players who aren't, like, full free agents, right? Um so we'll see what happens there, but I don't like. I don't. I can't, I'd be shocked. I'd be shocked that they made thirty three and thirty four for themselves, even because that seems like because those are some of the seconds. Thirty three and thirty four are the only second round picks you have that have any value whatsoever. No one wants forty five. No one wants fifty four or forty eight or whatever you have there. Um, those are useless, other than just swapping them from another for like a future protected second just to get it out of your books or whatever. Um, so I'd be honestly surprised you know maybe you say you know maybe you use 54 and 34 to get 31 i don't know but i i don't think you take all four of those that's a lot that's a lot i'm hoping they maybe can move one of those picks 33 or 34 for like a top 20 protected first next year or something yeah i think that'd be ideal or a player Um, if there's someone who was drafted in the last couple years who uh has kind of flamed out like a former mid first round pick like that that could that might be something yeah yeah i think that's fair um so that's all i had on prospects is that all you had that's all i got so i think we were going to talk a little bit free agency as well and then take some questions uh i think we saved the free agent thing we're going a bit long already as it is yeah i think the free agency uh, thing i think the free agency pod should be part of the well we're gonna have a draft reaction pod next week um, yeah, and we can kind of fold think, it into that. I think at that point we should fold it in because it's going to really depend on. Also, I think we're going to hear more uh, in the next like for sure week and a half, two weeks about uh, or I guess week or week and a half about um, what Jimmy Butler's thinking, what Tobias Harris is thinking. If Anthony Davis gets traded to the Lakers, that obviously changes everything. So let's let's wait until after the draft and we'll kind of roll those into one big pod. Okay, uh, so let's take a handful of questions, but first, uh, let's take our second break. All right, uh, Max, I got a, I got a couple of questions here. Uh, you want to start it off? Sure. All right, uh, at Booby Styles, our friend, our friend Bobby asked, knowing how healthy he was, what's the most you would go back in time and give up for Kawhi? Oh, man. Um, I would definitely, I would combine, I would combine all three of... The uh, Markel Fultz trade, the uh, Tobias Harris, and the Jimmy Butler trades. Just give up all those things and only get back 
Kawhi Leonard, I think I would do that. Do you think that doesn't? So it would be the future pick, the mm-hmm. the, uh, the Miami Heat pick. It would be mm-hmm. uh, Landry Shamit. It would be mm-hmm. Dario Saric. It would be Robert mm-hmm. Covington. It would mm-hmm. be Markel Fultz. Jared Bayless. Jared Bayless, of course. Yeah. Uh, was was uh, yeah, Mike Muscala. Mike Muscala was in the trade. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. the other, and and Wilson Chandler, I think. The other thing, yeah. um, I'm imagining this trade is last summer. So Kawhi's value is a little bit lower, and also Markel Fultz isn't a zero value. Yeah, and and you have it's not even Landry Shamit; it's that pick. True, most likely. Yeah, so maybe Landry Shamit and Fultz kind of uh, wash out at that point. Yeah. Yeah, I I don't know if they do that. That's probably the most I would do. I think anything anything more than that, and you're just like completely gutting your your future, or your ability to like build anything around them. Hmm. Well, what about you? Uh, I don't know if the. Do you? Would you give up Ben Simmons? Yes, but not in addition to all those things I just said. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, so I would I center think, a deal around Ben Simmons for sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think probably yeah. Um, especially if. It was more than a one-year rental, but if you can, looking back on it, look at it and be like, yeah, probably pretty much guarantees you a title. Although, honestly, I don't know, because Kawhi's a world beater, right? But does Kawhi Leonard, Joel Embiid, and then whatever you have left over, this is pre-Butler deal, this is pre-Harris deal, neither of those two guys. So it basically does a team of uh, Kawhi, Embiid, JJ and kind of scraps. Does that do anything? Well, maybe, maybe at that point you're you're doing the Jimmy Butler trade still, you know, because we're we're yeah, assuming sure. we're assuming that if you're giving up Ben Simmons, you're not also giving up all the things from those two trades. So you still have yeah, you still have Sharich and Covington or whatever combination mm-hmm. of those players. I think I definitely think a Jimmy Butler, may- Kawhi, and Bead team wins the finals this year. Yeah, I think so, but it has season. to. Yeah. You, Right, but I think without him, you don't. Without uh, having that yeah. third, having having especially with Embiid, especially uh, assuming Embiid would have still. That's the I guess the other thing I have to think about is like, would Embiid have recovered from whatever ailment, whatever was ailing him in the yeah. the Raptor series? Would that have been better by now? I mean, also you think about this like uh, with Kawhi. Um, all right, so imagine that with Kawhi here and 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 Embiid here, that the Sixers kind of take the the outlook on both of them that the Raptors did the Kawhi this year, right? Kind of rest them on purpose and give them more time to whatever. Like, if you if you have your team based around Kawhi and Embiid and then you just, like, kind of sporadically sit both of them to, to rest them up for the playoffs, are you, like, a five seed? A four seed? Mm-hmm. That's the thing you got to think about that matchup-wise, too. But with Kawhi off the Raptors and on your team, you're better than the Raptors in the playoffs head-to-head for sure. Especially if, you know, imagining they still have DeMar DeRozan. I think you definitely beat them. Yeah, I don't know. It, it's it's a whole ripple effect across the entire NBA. Um, but yeah, I think I'd probably center a deal around Ben Simmons. Yeah. If that's the case. I'm happy that Ben Simmons is here. I'm happy that we can continue on forward with Ben Simmons. But watching the title be raised last night, yeah, I, I think I would do that. Um, I just had another one that I can't find now. Okay, here we go. Uh, 
Coconut Junior Junior, Jimmy Sharp asked, if you would indulge my Schadenfreude, I have a, I have a, an opinion on this one. Uh, what is the absolutely worst case scenario for the Celtics this off season? Do you want to go first? Mm, yeah, I, I, I have, I have, I have one. Yeah, I mean, I haven't thought about this, but um, I think the absolute worst case scenario for the Celtics off season is that they get Anthony Davis. Really, and I don't think the team as what, with what they would have to give up for Anthony Davis to get Anthony Davis won't win anything next year, and he's going to leave. So then you give a bunch of shit up for Anthony Davis, and then he bounces, and then you're left with just like a crater, essentially. Uh, and then a crater and whatever, you're still paying Gordon Hayward. Uh, so I think that's probably their worst-case scenario in the long run is to actually successfully pull off an Anthony Davis trade. I just think it would be, if we're talking about schadenfreude, I think it would be um, more enjoyable and more, like, it would just feel better to watch them this summer just strike out. To see to see the sure. Lakers trade for for AD um, for Kyrie to leave for them to strike out on the things they're doing they bring back Horford and it's basically the same team as last year minus Kyrie uh, and and AD is no and minus longer. a very disgruntled Terry Rozier yes <laughs> um, that I think would be that would just feel really great I love I mean yeah. it's it's really amazing how they went from in, in a year's time went from being this team that like pretty much all of us were you know, kind of consigned ourselves to this idea that like, okay, as whatever future the Sixers have, like the Celtics are just a step above. Like they just have a little Mm -hmm. bit more, they have more assets, they have more whatever. Like, and to just see all that kind of fall apart. And it's not like they have no future anymore, but like to see the Kings pick be what it was, to see, um, you know, the Memphis pick not convey, um, to have like, uh, uh, Jason Tatum like fall back to earth. Uh, Kyrie mm-hmm. basically say fuck this and leave for, An- right. for Anthony Davis to say he's definitely not. Go- it's like everything has gone wrong. All the things that we had kind of lined up as like man, like even if like half these things go right, they're going to be great. It's like every single one went wrong. Um, right. So I I feel I already feel like I've gotten a lot of Schadenfreude out of it, um, but I think. I want to just put that over the top right now. I don't want to have to. I don't want to have to like accept that in the end they were able to trade for Anthony Davis. Uh, I think it would just feel really good if that never happened. If they just like never made that trade, ne- never got to it that would point feel where they great. finally cash in those assets. Yeah, it would feel nice though if they if they don't. all the talk if it did happen and then just they kind of like have a mediocre year and then he just bounces. That'd be nice too. That's more of like a, a drawn out enjoyment, though, for sure. Yeah. Um. Honestly, that's all I got for questions because we have a bunch that were free agency related, and I think we want to save our thoughts on that yeah, for let, another pod. Let, let's save that. We're already at like an hour fifteen. Yep. Um. All right. Well, thanks everybody for listening. We'll be back, uh, I guess, in about a week. Yeah. Week right uh, after the draft. day after the draft. Right after the draft, talk about. Uh, stuff going on there and um, you know barring any terrible fucking emergencies which knowing our podcast will happen any minute now Um, so thanks for listening as always uh, and we will talk to you next week see ya